Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. So today we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians. And and just to sort of let you know, this is a letter to a group of young believers in the city of Thessalonica that are, are on the verge of struggling. Because what, what Paul, the, the theme, if we were gonna sort of sum it up and put bookends on this and kind of put a bow on it, what we could kind of summarize this letter to be about is it's gonna be about a, a man who is ministering to a group of people, a young group of believers who are starting to face first persecution who are starting to live in a a life that the world is turning against them, where life as a Christian is getting harder. And so what Paul, the theme of this book, the theme of this letter is Paul is wanting to encourage these new believers, hey, quit looking at your circumstances and be reminded that Jesus is coming. I think for all of us in this room, I understand this letter was to these people, but I believe there's so much application that we can take from this letter because we can look around our world and see that as a follower of Christ, it's gonna get harder and harder and harder. And what we've gotta make sure that we've gotta be intentional about doing is quit looking at the world, quit looking horizontally, and realize that our hope is not found here anyway. Your hope is not if you get a pay raise. Your hope is not in if you get the right job. Your, your hope is even not in your marriage. Your hope is in the return of Christ. That's where joy is. That's what keeps us moving forward. And that's why we're gonna keep fighting. And so this letter is to new believers who have a lot of questions who are, are beginning to become very uncertain. And so the ones that report to Paul, and we'll share that in just a moment, they're, they're coming to Paul with concern. They're saying, hey, look, they're doing great, but I'm just a little bit worried about them getting discouraged because the world is coming against them. And so Paul's heart behind this letter is to provide comfort, not in worldly circumstances, to provide, provide comfort and hope in the fact that Jesus will return. And so I think for everybody in this room, we can relate to that. We can relate to the fact that we can look beside us. You can look at your home. You can look at your circumstances and it's hard. It's tough. We're always in an uphill battle. But can I tell you today that I just want to whisper the sweet hope to you that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And so before we really jump in, we're only gonna go through five verses today, um, but before we jump into that, I felt that it was very important to sort of give you a, a 30,000 foot view of, of how this letter came to be, of sort of the process of even how the, ch- the church of Thessalonica came to be. Paul and Silas are on their second missionary journey to, to Macedonia, and as they're on the way, they run into a lady 
by the name of Lydia. And because Paul and Silas do what Paul and Silas do, they share the gospel with this lady. She gives her life to Christ and until the whole family ends up giving their life to Christ. And because she was so appreciative, she knew they were missionaries, she knew they were traveling. And, and so what she did was she offered her home. She said, look, I know you're tired, so I want you to come stay with us. You can stay with my family to get some rest. And so Paul and Silas accepted the invitation. They're on the way to Miss Lydia's house and where they encounter a demon-possessed woman, a woman that was being solicited by men in the city in that she was a, a fortune teller. And so they were using her giftedness, if you would, to get rich, to make a lot of money. And the Bible says that for many days, this demon-possessed woman followed Paul and Silas. And she began to taunt them. She began to chant and she began to scream that these are men of the most high God. Now keep in mind, they're trying to be discreet. They're trying to travel from city to city, but this lady wasn't having it. She was continuing to follow them, to heckle them. And Paul got put out with it. And so Paul being Paul, he turned around and he cast the demon out of the lady. So needless to say, the men that were getting rich were just a little bit upset. They were just a little bit upset. So we know what that leads to. That leads to Paul and Silas being thrown into prison. And so as Paul and Silas are in prison, we've all heard this story. We've seen songs about this. But it says that about midnight, they were praying they were worshiping and they were praising Jesus. And then an earthquake came. The jail cells were opened up. The chains had fallen. And now they're free to leave. I don't know about you, but I'm out. To heck with looking to see who needs to know Jesus. I'm out. I've been in prison. Get me out of here. But they walk out and as they see the jailer who's getting ready to take his own life because he knew the price that was gonna have to be paid for these two getting out, Paul and Silas stopped and said, no, 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 no. And he asked the question, what must I do to be saved? And we all know that they then there shared the gospel with him. He responds. And so now all of a sudden, they ran out of another town. They ran out of another town. And so this is what leads them to the city of Thessalonica. And according to the scripture, it said that they were in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths, which for you and I, that would mean about three weeks. That means that they were there for almost a month. And in that month's period of time, they, they were wreaking havoc for the gospel. People were getting saved. The church was established. The church was beginning to grow. And as a result, guess what happened next? They got ran out of town again. I don't know about you, but man, I, don't, I would love to get run out of town over and over and over and over again. That's just something. That's like a, a medal of honor or something. Like I got ran out of here because of the gospel that's pretty powerful, but that's continued to what happened to Paul and Silas, that everywhere they went, they caused a mess for Jesus and they got ran out. And so now we fast forward three months. They've been ran out of Thessalonica. They're in the city of Corinth. And in the city of Corinth, Timmy and, Timothy and Silas, Timmy, as we'll call him, Timmy. <laughs> Timothy and Silas show up because Timothy and Silas are really, really concerned about the church at Thessalonica. They know it's getting harder. They know that the world is beginning to turn against them. And so Timothy and Silas, they come to Paul and they say, look, Paul, they're, they're growing, they're doing great. They're standing strong, but we're just a little bit afraid they're gonna get tired because it's getting tougher. And so Paul writes a letter of encouragement to the 
to the church at Thessalonica. And what we realize is this is actually the first letter that Paul ever wrote to a church. This is the first letter that he ever wrote to encourage someone. And so we're gonna jump in now. I want you to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter one. 1 Thessalonians chapter one. And we're just gonna read verses one through five. So if you got your Bible, I want you to read along with me. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter one, verse one, it says, Paul and Silvanus, which is, which is Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Verse two, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and the labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. Verse five, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we have proved to be among you for your sake. You know, when we read those first five verses, we all wanna talk about Paul and his missionary ability, his missionary calling. What we get a glimpse to is if you look in the introduction of all of Paul's letters, we realize that Paul is much more than a missionary. Paul was a pastor at heart. He loved the church. He loved the local congregation. And see, actually what's going on in Thessalonia is the fact that that they were lying to the church about Paul. They were saying, he's just walked out on you. He's abandoned you. He doesn't care about you. And Paul wants to make sure that they realize that that's not the truth. So that was another motivating factor for the reason of him writing this letter is he wants them to know how much they mean to him. He wants them to know how much he loves them as a church. And if you read through this book, if you read through this letter, you'll see three more times just in five chapters that Paul lets them know how thankful he is for them because he loved the body. He loved the church that God had allowed him to be a part of planning. And, and not only is he thankful for them, but we see there too, he says that I also pray for you. How many of you have ever gotten a message or a phone call from somebody that says, hey, I just want you to know today, I've been praying for you. How humbling is that? that somebody would take time out and put your name at the feet of Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's pretty humbling. So here you have these new believers, here you have this new church plant, if you would, like three months old, and now all of a sudden, Paul, the man who helped you start it, the man who shared the gospel, the man who preached with boldness, he writes you a letter and he says, I'm thankful for you and I continue to pray for you. I've not forgotten you. And so for me, I wanna pause here for just a minute. Because if you know anything about me, I'm not good at a whole lot. But what God has put in me is to love you. And so from the bottom of my heart this morning, I want to follow Paul's example. I wanna follow the, the outline that Paul has put for me. And I simply want to tell you this morning from this stage how thankful I am for you. 
Some four and a half years ago, God united my family to this family. And I could not be more thankful. My children could not be more thankful. My wife could not be more thankful. So from the bottom of my heart, I want to be like Paul. And I just want to simply tell you, thank you. Thank you. And you know, there was a burden that I received many years ago when I was in student ministry. And it was probably birthed of being a school, from being a school teacher. But God placed something on my heart in student ministry is that I would always pull our team together. I would always pull our volunteers and I would say, look, let it never be said about us that a student enters this student ministry without ever hearing us tell them, we love you. We love you. And so to my knowledge, in, in all the years of student ministry, once God convicted me of this, I, I can pretty confidently say that I don't know that we ever dismissed a service, that we ever dismissed an event without the students that God entrusted to me, without them hearing me say that I love you, or without them hearing one of our volunteers say I love you. Maybe you've been going here for two to three weeks. Maybe it's a month. Maybe it's 25 years. Let it, let it never be said about this team that we don't love you. You're gonna hear it from this stage that we love you. And this is something that we're gonna continue to do. But not only am I thankful, not only do I love you, and I know some of you will go, Brian, well, you don't know me. I've only been here like two weeks. I've only been here a week. I can honestly say that I love you. And there's a reason that God has brought you here. And maybe it's just simply so you can hear some little short guy that pastors this church to hear me say, I love you. But I want you to understand that in my love, I'm always gonna push you to the one who loves you more than me. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He can do what I can't do. I have a carnal love. I'm gonna let you down. I'm gonna fail you. But just as we've sung just a moment ago, his faithfulness, is gonna show that he loves us. But not only am I thankful, not only do I love you, but, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I pray for you. I pray for you. I pray for you to grow in your knowledge of him, number one. But I also pray for your home. I pray for your families. And I pray for the courage for you to stay firm in your faith. Because look, as a believer, we're gonna to wanna to quit. We're gonna ask ourselves, what's the point? Because it's gonna get hard. It's gonna be tough, but I pray that God gives you the strength to keep moving, to keep fighting. So I want you to hear me today. I'm thankful for you, I love you, and I pray for you. And I know some of you are going, God, this guy's just way too mushy. 
Well, for those who don't like mushy, we'll move on and get back to looking at Paul. Okay. So he spends three verses. He spends three verses telling them why he's thankful for them. He doesn't just stop with I'm thankful for you, but he, he gives them specific reasons of why he is thankful for them. But what I love is, it doesn't necessarily say it, but we can read between the lines, but what he's most thankful for, the most important part of these five verses that he's thankful for, it is, the, is that he is thankful the gospel has changed their life. Look at what verse five says. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. So the word of God, the gospel, this book is the very thing that has the power to change lives. I can get up here and you can tell very quickly that I'm not the most well-rehearsed or the most eloquent speaker. But what I do know is that Brian's word doesn't have the ability to change your life anyway. It is only the God-breathed word of God that has the power to change your life. And that's what Paul is wanting them to understand. He's saying, our, our gospel, this word did not come to you in words alone, but it came to you accompanied with the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is accompanied with the word of God, it penetrates the hearts and the lives of people. And this is what has changed you. And Paul is saying, I am so thankful that the word of God has transformed who you are. I am so thankful that the word of God has changed you. The spirit has empowered you. The word has penetrated your heart. And that, my friend, is what has changed you. And we read from the prophet Isaiah. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. The prophet Isaiah speaks on behalf of the Lord and he says, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. He sent his word for a purpose. He sent his word to change your life. And I hear a horn blowing back here. So y'all keep hearing that? I don't know if I'm gonna turn around. There's like a big light about to run over me. If there is, would y'all please give me a warning? Please let me know so I can at least jump off the stage. Anyway, I guess that was Todd's. He's gonna hate me now. He's humiliated. But my idiot. <laughs> hey, I love you, brother. I'm thankful for you. But I gotta give you a new ringtone. <laughs> okay, praise God. I had faked it till I could make it as long as I could. <laughs> Woo! I was gonna start going, mm -hmm, that's what we're going, yeah. Man, I broke out in a sweat now. I just dumped this on my head and we'll be good to go. Brandon, y'all wanna come out and wrap us up this morning? Oh, anyway, this helps me transition to another pause, if you would. You know, it's amazing what God taught me in so many years of student ministry preparing me for this. And one of the biggest burdens and the convictions that I had, and you're gonna really hear how naive I am, but you know, this world is, is absolutely full of distractions. 
Y'all may think that was a prop, but that was not, I promise. That just happened. But this world is absolutely full of distractions. And so what I have learned in my journey of following Christ is what I am called to do is God, I have to be very, very intentional on limiting those distractions. I've got to become very intentional on, on getting those distractions out of my mind, out of my way, especially when the word of God is at work in my life. Many of you wonder, where are you at on Tuesdays? You're not in the office. Are you at home sleep? No, I'm not. I'm in a little bitty old camper by myself with the Holy Spirit of God because I know me, that's the only place I can limit distractions because I've gotta be with God as we prepare for this, to prepare what God would have me share with you. And so here, here's what I'm sharing. Here's the burden that, I, that I'm gonna lay out in front of you, but I, I'm, I'm reading a book about being a convicted leader. And what I'm gonna share with you is out of conviction. Don't ever let an app on your phone be the replacement of a hard copy of God's word. And I know some of you are going, oh, oh no, <laughs> oh, I got my phone today. Look, I love you. I'm not mad at you, but I want you to hear the point. And this is how naive I was. Listen, when I was in student ministry, I always remember standing up on stage in a very dim room with a room full of teenagers. And I would say, hey, I want you to get out your Bibles and turn to so-and-so, wherever we were reading from. And all of a sudden, you would just see these faces luminate all across the room. And super spiritual me, I'm going, oh, look at the Shekinah glory. It's shining all over this student ministry. And then all of a sudden, you would look around and you would see some students that they would, they would be viewing the Shekinah glory and they would all of a sudden begin to laugh. And I'm sitting there in my mind going, I didn't say anything funny. So what did they read in that passage that I didn't get? Or then all of a sudden you would have those few students that were just laser focused. You know, they were just like, mm. What I realized is they were trying to beat the next level of whatever game that they had been playing for the last eight months. And what I began to realize is the students began to laugh because they were receiving messages during church. They were looking at their phones, they would get notifications. And so here's the very reason that I'm going to encourage you, don't let your phone be your Bible. I know me well enough to know if I'm in a passage of scripture and I'm reading and I get a text message, God's word goes out the window because I gotta figure out who's trying to get in touch with me. I gotta figure out what this message is about. I gotta figure out what this missed call is about. And so what I encourage you, look, I'm asking you, I'm telling you this because I love you. Don't ever let an app on your phone replace a hard copy of God's word. And here's how much we believe in it. I am so excited about this because this is something that God has placed on my heart over a year ago. But because of your generosity, because of your faithfulness to give to God's kingdom, if you're here this morning and you can say, Brian, I don't have a hard copy of God's Bible, of God's word. That's okay. You know why? Because your church family bought you one. We bought you one. And if you can say today, hey, I don't have a copy don't hang your head in shame. You go to guest services and we've got a nice Bible. It's not just some little paperback thing. It's a nice Bible for you to be yours because here's what I know. 
You say, well, Brian, that's awful old school. I'm just old school enough to know that this is what changes lives. This is what is going to change your home. This is what is going to change your journey with Christ. It's the power of what's in here. And we believe it so much, we're gonna put it in your hand. Now look, don't be looking at your Bible going, well, mine's a little worn out. I'm gonna go get me one of them. No, that's not for you. You got one. And don't come out there and say, hey, can you put my initials? Can you inscribe it down here in the bottom right corner? No, you can do that. But we've got some back there at guest services. If you want one, I'm begging you to come get it. And if we run out, leave us your name, phone number, and email. We're gonna order you one. We will have you one. That is how much we believe in the power of God's word. We've gotta limit distractions. We've gotta do everything we can because you better believe if we're in God's house with God's people in his word, you see, the enemy is very fearful of this because every time he tempted Jesus, what did Jesus say? It is written. It's in here. So if he knows that this is powerful, you better believe if we're in here with God's people talking about God's word, your phone's gonna be blowing up, hence Todd Robinson's phone. It's gonna be blowing up, Todd, I'm sorry. You, you have no idea, it played perfectly. I'm actually gonna get you to put it out there the second service, because that, and y'all text him all during the first service, or second service, that way it just keeps going, because that was really beautiful. Um, I wish I could be that spiritual, but I'm not. But man, it worked perfectly. But yeah, we see here that, that there's power in the word of God. And can I tell you for a selfish reason, a selfish reason that I want you to have a hard copy of God's word. Can, can I tell you, there's nothing more precious when we say turn to this book or we turn to this chapter and you hear it. To me, that's almost the breath of God saying, hey, I'm about to go to work. I'm about to go to work. I wasn't gonna share this, but this is hilarious. So I gotta share it. When I was in student ministry, you know, students, pastors can get away with a lot. We had gone to a conference, we had taken our middle schoolers and the pastor who was doing that middle school conference, he wanted students to be excited about God's word. And so every time he would say, open your Bible to such and such passage, that he would have all of the students react as if they were in Athens on a Saturday. They would scream, open God's word, woo! And everybody just went nuts. So I get the bright idea when we got back home from this student camp, I'm gonna get our students doing that. Food for thought, I should have warned the pastor. <laughs> because there was about 100 teenagers crammed right here in the middle section. And all of a sudden he had turned into God's word. And all of a sudden, woo! And this dude, I thought he was gonna come out of his pants. And needless to say, I got in trouble on Monday. He would loved it, but he just said, hey, look, a little warning. But you know what's even more special than that? I went back some six months later after God had called us away from there. And I remember the pastor getting up to preach and he said, turn to God's word. Those students were still cheering. Those students were still rejoicing in the reading of this word because guys, there's power in it. There's power in it. So we see, yes, Paul's thankful but the thing that he's most thankful for is that their lives have been changed for the gospel. 
And so I want us to look at the evidence of what the gospel has produced in their life. Look at what the gospel has done in their life. Go back to verse three. Paul says here that constantly bearing in mind, it means they're always thinking about your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. You see, if you look back in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul is talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about these things, but he says that there's three that will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And because the gospel has transformed the people in Thessalonica, do you see there what is being exemplified, what is being put on display? Faith, hope, and love. It's the evidence of a changed life. It's the evidence of the gospel moving in someone's heart. He knows they're changed because of what they're doing. And that's what he mentions when he talks about the work of faith. He says here that the work of faith is evidence. And if you read in the book of James, it talks about, James talks about that, that works without faith is dead. Now I want you to understand many people get caught up on that passage because they think that they have to work in order to earn their faith. But that's not the case at all. We're not saved by faith plus works, but when we're truly saved by faith, you'll see the work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the supernatural power of something that happens in us. And this faith begins to work itself out in our testimony, in our livelihood, in how we walk, how we talk, how we treat and love other people. We're not doing all of those things in order to earn God's love, but we're, we're doing them because we realize that we're loved by him and therefore it gives us the ability to love people the very same way that he loves us. In spite of our sin, in spite of, of who they are. And so he's been hearing about all of these works that they've been doing. But Paul knows that it's happening only because the word of God has changed their life. The word of God has changed their life. Then he moves on to the labor of love. When you look at what this labor of love means, this definition just absolutely blows my mind. It says love that reaches the extent of self-denial. Love that reaches the extent of self-denial. And so he's telling them, he said, look, I am thankful that you're continuing to work. I am thankful that you're continuing to labor in love for the Lord Jesus Christ. I am thankful that I get to watch what you're doing. You're remaining faithful because you know that he's the one that changed your life. And you're continuing to serve to the extent of self-denial. That's what he continues to talk about, that we die to ourselves daily. You realize that in order to serve Jesus, in order to live for Jesus, we're gonna have to continue to die to ourselves daily because there's gonna be days that you wake up that you don't feel like putting your Christian hat on. Maybe home's a mess. Maybe job's a mess. Maybe friendships are a mess. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe a loved one has got a terrible diagnosis and you're gonna be exactly what we were singing just a moment ago. God, it doesn't appear you're faithful right now. 
But are we going to make a commitment that we will continue to labor in love no matter the circumstances that we face? D.L. Moody was asked the question by his family. And they asked him, they said, Dad, do you ever grow weary in God's work? Do you ever grow weary in doing what God has called you to do? And I read this quote that he said that absolutely wrecked my life this week. He said, I didn't grow weary of the work, but I did grow weary in the work. Are we living a life that we could honestly say that we're just weary in the work? We're giving God all we have and it just feels that we're worn out. Are we weary in the work of God? When is the last time that you have been so obedient to God that it just wore you out? When's the last time you took such a large leap of faith that you were just weary because it was tough? It was hard. You know, there's a lot of you in here in spite of what you're facing right now You need to simply just pull up your bootstraps, fasten your chin strap, and just continue to serve God. Even though you may not want to. Are we faithful servants of God? And again, faithful is not an emotion. Faithfulness is something that we live out. You place your obedience in front of the Lord and watch him use it. You place your obedience out there and watch him use it. You know, maybe you're here today and you're, you're just weary. Maybe you are worn out in the work. Or maybe today you have become weary of the work and you're just like, ah, I don't know if I wanna do it no more. I'm just kind of over it. It's just too hard. And can I be real honest with you? There's days that I wake up that way. I used to work in a school. I used to coach. I even worked on a well drilling rig. I would be lying to you if I told you that there's not days that I miss that. But you know what I realize? I read this this week and it opened my eyes to that very thing that says that our our labor for the Lord dims. When our labor for the Lord dims, Calvary has dimmed to us. When our labor of the Lord is dimmed, Calvary dims to us and we forget the cost of salvation. And so on the days that you don't feel like you can serve him anymore, on the days that you're ready to throw in the towel, just as Brandon just said, and y'all, I promise, he didn't even have my notes today. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. And I wish I could tell you today that, hey, you know what? I know it's tough right now, but just remain faithful because it's gonna get easier. Not gonna happen, church. If anything, it's gonna get harder and harder and harder to serve the Lord here on this planet. Because remember, 
This isn't home. We don't belong here. This isn't of us. And so the world is gonna do everything they can to shut us up. We're gonna have people turn against us as Christians. We're gonna have the government turn against us as Christians. But are we gonna remain faithful the very same way the Father has remained faithful? Serving him is gonna get hard, harder. And so I'm just gonna tell you today, there's no sugarcoating it. We just gotta keep going. We gotta keep going. We gotta keep fighting. We gotta keep battling. When our brothers and sisters fall, we gotta help them up. But then the third thing that Paul talks about that he's so thankful for that he's seen is their steadfastness in hope. Now, if you remember when we started, we realized that that steadfastness and hope is ultimately the theme of this letter. He wants them to realize your hope is not found in your circumstances. Your hope is found in the return of our Savior. Your hope is found in the return of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, look, I've watched you. You are standing fast. You are standing strong because your eyes are on the return of Christ. You know that that is the reason you keep battling. You know that this is the reason you keep plowing because you know that this is temporary. You know that the Lord is coming and that is the very reason that we keep fighting, that we keep battling. And so you may be here this morning, you may wonder, why do I keep doing this? Or how am I gonna keep doing this? The reason the behind the why and the how is because we as followers of Jesus Christ, we are promised that according to God's word that there's coming a day that he will come and get his bride. And that's us. This is our hope. This is why we keep going because we know we win. We know that we are victorious because when he said it is finished, he meant it. He meant it. But I get it. It is so hard for the steadfastness of hope. It is so hard to keep our eyes on the, the vertical things rather than the horizontal things. But can I tell you, it all goes back to this. What do you do when you first get up in the morning? You say, well, Brian, you don't know the household I live in. I'll compete with you on that one. <laughs> you know, he's not even in the room, but my wife's grandfather lives with us and, and A.J. Saji, our middle school student pastor's mom, has a business, uh, an in-home nursing. And, and A.J. also works for her. And there's days that, that A.J. comes in and he takes care of, of my wife's grandfather. And he spends time with him. A.J. walked in yesterday morning and he said, man. He said, I'm doing better. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I've been getting up earlier. 
and spending time with the Lord. He said, man, it's good. Church, this is what gives us the strength to keep going. This is what gets our eyes off our circumstances. This is what gets our eyes off of this disaster that we live in. And this is what gives us hope is that it's temporary. And this is how we keep fighting. Because you know, somewhere in this passage is one of the most humbling statements that Paul makes in verse four. Now keep in mind, this is to the, to the people in Thessalonica. And this is what I want us to close with. Remember, this church has been planted so it can influence the community in which surrounds it. Their mission was to saturate the world by making disciples. But look at what verse four says. Knowing brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. If you ever need encouraged, if you ever need to be reminded that God wants to use you, look at what Paul is telling the people of Thessalonica. His choice was you. The reason that he placed you in Thessalonica is because he wanted to use you. The reason that he's placed you in your workplace, the reason that he's placed you in your home, the reason that he's placed you on a team, the reason that he's placed you in that office is because his choice was you and he wants to use you. I don't know about you, but that's pretty humbling that the creator of the universe has placed us as his children in places so that we can use the power of the spirit in us to influence those around us. And if you think you have the ability to change someone's life for the name of Jesus without being standing on this foundation, you better be careful. But church, his choice was you. His choice was you. You know, I don't know what you bring in here today. I don't, I don't when you look at those three things that, that Paul was thankful for, when you look at all the three things that Paul was thankful for, yes, he was thankful for the fact that the gospel has changed their life. That's the first question that I wanna pose this morning. If there's someone here that has never been changed by the gospel, if there's someone in here that has never responded to a, a love that makes no sense, you may have been trying and attempting all these behavior modifications. You may have tried to fix this. You may have tried to overcome that and you continue to find yourself running in circles because you think you can be good enough to earn God's love. I wanna tell you right now, you can't. So quit running. Quit running and trust in the finished work of what Jesus has done. Let the gospel change your life. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps 
and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.